And so we welcome you back for the second of our two-part series called Full-Bodied, Whole-Hearted Movement Play. Now, if you haven't already listened to part one, you've missed something really special. And you may want to check it out before listening to this one, which is part two of a two-part series. Little Stones, the podcast that takes a fresh look at the fascinating world of young children. As a parent, experienced child care professional and early years consultant, I get how much we dream good things for our children. We start out hopeful and confident, and yet somehow the daily reality can feel more like a grind than a gift. And so we easily miss out on the joys of these fleeting early years. Over time, I've come to realize that to give our children the best start in life, we first need to recognize what's going on inside them in secret. There is some great research out there, and my heart is to make some of this relatable for everyone. And so throughout these weekly podcasts, I hope that whoever you are, parent, family carer, childminder, practitioner, anyone who spends time with young children can take a moment each week to reinterpret what our children are doing and why. And by doing so, I have seen countless exasperated, bewildered, exhausted carers become re-energized and inspired as they find easy ways to connect with what their young children are naturally eager to do. A little like turning over a pebble in a rock pool to discover a hidden world tucked away. We too will look at our children with fresh eyes and delight in being part of their journey. One of the things I love about Jabadao, I will need to call it Jabadao now. Um, Jabadao, nice. Um, <laughs> is, uh, is thinking about the adult role. Um, so this isn't necessarily... I know you do sell resources, you, you, you deliver training for practitioners, and for those of you who are in the industry, I could not um, recommend it highly enough. Uh, I, I think the training is eye-opening, astonishingly so, and as I said at the beginning, has transformed the way we work with young ch children. Um, but it's not all about resources. It's about being the adult that facilitates the child's own freedom of movement. Is that right? OK, it's absolutely not about resources. Yes, we sell resources. Why? Because people said to us, where do you get the things that you work with? And gradually we said, oh, well, all right, we'll make you some. And it sort of turned into this shop, which is lovely. Because resources are important too. But actually what's important is a clear space and the word that you used earlier, Caroline, value. Value that adults give to what they're seeing and what children are offering. So adult role, well, there are a number. One is creating an environment that's inviting for the whole range of developmental movement. And that means sometimes focusing on the floor because the floor play needs an inviting floor of a certain kind. So creating... Rethinking how we create environments, not filling them with resources that's, that shriek, this is what you need to do with me, I, you spin in me, you balance on me, you climb me. Actually, empty spaces. Uh, adults are a bit anxious about empty spaces. 
especially in early year settings where there's so much to cram in, so much stuff. But an empty space, children absolutely know what to do with it. It's a body space and they move differently. Yes, this can be outside as well, but we work a lot inside too as a balance. So one role is creating the environment. The next is being, uh, we, uh, this is a clunky word, but we haven't come up with a better one yet. Being a movement play witness, by which we mean not doing the observations that practitioners do all the time, sort of um, professional judgment, judgment. It's not observation. It's not watching, which has a sort of coldness about it. Witness, we try to imply a really engaged, noticing, seeing what a child is offering in as rounded a way as possible. And we talk a lot about what that means, how we bring our whole self to noticing and valuing what a child is doing. And let's face it, all of us want to be seen for who we are. Uh, it's a deep human need. See me for who I am, not who you think I am, but who I'm showing you, who I'm telling you I am. So that... Being present and witnessing is one huge, big, deep, exhausting role. It's not untiring. <laughs> it's very focused. And then the final way is getting involved, is actually what being a movement play buddy, being taught by the infant expert. Yeah, and, and this is a big one because most of us don't find it easy to move spontaneously from the body signals inside. What's my body, how is my body telling me to move? Children do that completely naturally until we stop them and suggest to them in so many ways there are other things you could be doing, like could you be a tree? The kind of nightmare for all we adults is she going to ask me to be a tree. Hop like a bunny. You know, we take a cognitive idea and we shunt it down into our body. But actually, our body is alive with ideas of its own, which we can shunt upwards and notice. And children are doing a lot of that if you give them an empty space and they know that you value what they're doing. They'll do it anyway, but they really do it big time if you... I remember testing this out, actually, um, probably towards the end of my training, but I, I took um, three children into a garden, uh, just a garden space, nothing else there at all. So there was just grass. And these three lads, um, young lads, they, they started, whoa, what can we do, what can we do? And one of them made their, their legs into a sort of tunnel and the other one crawled through. And this child automatically began to bring his legs closer and closer together. And then f the, the, the children who are crawling through began to enjoy that feeling of their body, the sides of their bodies going through this tunnel. What I loved most about this, though, was the second they'd really enjoyed it, they got to the stage where they got their knees locked together, so it was only the bit between their knees and their feet that were wide enough to squeeze through. But they wanted to swap so that the tunnel maker could have the same experience. So that lovely emotional, social benefits with no resources at all was just amazing. Amazing. What a beautiful example. Perfect, because they know what to do in empty space. They create a great piece of play. It has... It's open, completely and beautifully open-ended and free-flow. You don't have to teach turn-taking or get cross when they do or don't because they're in control of how they manage that, and they do. That's beautiful. Precisely. Infant experts at work, or if you had, it wouldn't have been nearly as interesting. Oh, my goodness, we can talk forever and ever. I'm, I'm trying to think of another... A slightly irritating behaviour that, that some of our listeners might be familiar with. 
Um, and that's the hanging upside down. Um, is, was it just my children? Yeah, I mean, why do people, why do children, I don't know, lie on the sofa with their head upside down when they're watching something? Or, you know, why do they behave like this when, I mean, adults, you know, can't you sit on the sofa and then you'll see things the right way up? Um, yeah, that. Okay, so being upside down prompts one of our sensory systems massively, the vestibular system. Horrible, long, fancy word. Um, it's the system in our body that tells us which way is up and which way is down, no matter what relationship we have got to the ground. And we all carry that line through our bodies the whole time. And it, it helps to ground us, of course. If, if, if you tip your head off, off balance, you still know where the ground is underneath you and where the sky is above you. Those two absolute relational things, whether or when you've got care there, you have to relate to ground and sky. And in order to get really comfortable with that, in the first place, babies and children, we did when we were little, we did masses of spin tip swing upside down. Upside down is the kind of, actually spinning is the biggest um, hit that you can give the vestibular system, but upside down is a, a big practice, it's practicing. But we have to maintain that system as well. The sad thing about this system is it, it's, it's little sensors close to your inner ear in a sort of gloopy liquid that give you that information um, and lots more besides. And as we get older, grrr, that gloopy liquid gets thicker and we get less accurate information. Unless, I'm testing it, <laughs> we keep spinning and rolling and leaping and diving. Yeah. And, of course, we all know that as, you know, we have... We've looked after elderly parents or we have elderly parents. Uh, we get less steady on our feet, we get less able to balance. That's why. But maintaining that system, you know, if we watch the telly upside down a bit more often, it might last longer. There's a challenge. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. Just thinking of our listeners who might be home carers, you know, caring for their children at home independently. Um, if you're a practitioner, I could not recommend more highly creating a developmental movement space. And we can signpost you to some of the resources and the guidance that Penny and the JAB team um, put together or suggest. But if you're at home, you know, a small living room, say, for example, how can listeners manage and allow, facilitate children's freedom of movements within a confined space? Yeah, the confined space does and doesn't matter. I realise if you're living in that confined space with... Um, I mean, we were working alongside a family during first lockdown where mum was a nurse and out out at work, doing vital work all day. Dad was at home with five children in a very small space. I, I realise that small is really, really, really relevant. But actually, um, you don't need a big space for developmental movement. Uh, and sometimes, and, and when you're creating a space in a setting for professionals, we actually say small is better than big because it focuses the, the, the movement in particular ways. At home, it's back to your word, Caroline. It's back to the word value. If you value the movement that your children will be offering um, and find ways in whatever environment you've got, that is fabulous. It might be... It depends on how you feel about your sofa. If you spend a lot of money on it and you really want it to stay right, you might not want your kids upside down on it or whatever. Um, but if you don't mind, then it's a great movement play area. You know, you know what the children will do. They'll be upside down, they'll come off the sides, they'll hang upside down. Um, my grandson 
a year old was very a little while ago was very fractious one day we were on zoom all of us and uh, I mean, his mum knows this very well because she works for Jav as well sometimes but we just said oh take the cushions off the sofa put them on the floor and see what happens the next half an hour he was not fractious at all he just climbed and climbed and climbed and rolled and you know, so the sofa take the cushions off if you care about it was a new sofa she cared about them so um the stairs if you're prepared to sit at the bottom of the stairs while they go up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down fantastic climbing frame you've got it there in the house if you've got stairs in your house um if you haven't if you've got things you can pile up um pile them up cushions duvets i know it's clearing up at the end of the day just pile things up and clamber because clambering is amazing yeah. and best of all family bundle i mean it's great for you as well um if at some point in the day where you know you've got wind down time as well you just lie about together and and put a blanket on the floor push each other off it's movement play that that little body needs it will put all the five ways of moving in there whoa penny there's so much here um i'm tempted to ask if we can do this again <laughs> but there's just so so much um and and I think the message that I'm hearing from you and I would like our listeners to get is um, not to worry, not to worry about the movements that they're seeing their children display, um, actually learning to relax a little bit and allow those to to have some space and have the outlet. Um, and yes, they our children will be exhibiting behaviours that we don't want them to behave do at that particular time. But to think, OK, I, I can't allow my children to be doing this now, but how can I allow them? How, where can we go to enable them to behave in that way it, so that it no longer becomes irritating or a frustration or naughty or even dangerous, you know? Totally. Quick, simple example. If you've got a child who loves to throw... Throwing inside, absolutely not, because things will go flying and somebody might get hurt. But you can throw a feather. It takes much more effort. There's nothing wrong with throwing, but the context makes all the difference. And I love what you say about uh, don't worry, because, uh, in fact, I want to say get interested, get curious. Whatever your child is doing, get interested and curious in, in what it, you know, why, or, or just what. Um, and if you want to know more about why come and chat with us <laughs> and i'm going to ask a real nonsense question because i know the answer to this <laughs> just before we finish are you still learning from the children or do you think you know yeah. it all <laughs> this this dancer turned theorist in developmental Absolutely. movement play i can say that every time i watch a child move it will shift the thinking every single time and that i had a practitioner say to me recently uh, they trained in DMP, they use it a lot in the setting. And she said, look, I can more or less predict if I go into any of the other areas, I could more or less predict what will come up. Now, that's not true in, in the art area, I would say, because amazing paintings arrive every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I know what she meant. She said, if I'm in the movement play area, I've got no idea. And so yeah. what she's saying is I'm valuing what they're bringing and they bring something new and different and exciting every day. And from that, we learn. Massive piece of learning going on at the moment, post-pandemic, in terms of what children need if they haven't had as much access to movement play, being in their body, 
during this difficult time and holding stress in it as well. So we're learning hugely about what a movement play area is for all over again just at the moment. Yeah, uh, and thank you for that. I, I, I remember sort of one last story for me, but um, we, we created, um, because some children really enjoyed running around in circles, we created the, the movement mats and created a sort of running track inside so that they could run round and round in circles. And one little chap started to get upset um, and come out and go and go to a practitioner and say, eh. um, most of the practitioners were hardwired to step in at that point and just say, "Whoa, come on, too much roughness. You know, we shouldn't be doing this. Stop, stop hitting so and so," as they're running around the chat uh, the, the track. One practitioner asked the little boy a question and said, "Are you enjoying this game?" And he said, "Yes." So the game didn't stop. So he'd come out and had a bit of a whinge, but he loved the game and he wanted to go back in. So then it became a, well, how can we carry on enjoying it? And the little boy was able to articulate, actually, I'm really, really enjoying it, but please don't hit me as you're running. <laughs> um, but actually, that that for me was a beautiful example of of adults thinking they know best, potentially you know stopping this rich seam of play and social play, and allowing the children to evolve it and 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 state their need. Mm. That is brilliant and absolutely the core of this work and so many other approaches as well. Get curious, get curious, and ask what's your experience because yeah. There's such rich learning in there. I think we're going to have to draw this to a close. That was so lovely. I cannot thank you enough, Penny. Um, yeah, grist to your elbow. Just, just carry on doing what you're doing. And I really hope that so many more people will come and catch the vision. And little people's lives can be transformed. They'll become healthier and happier. That's the mission. Thank you. Until we meet again. And, and just to listeners, just do go to the Jabadeo website, which is www.jabadeo.org. Thank you so much. Take care. What can I say but a huge thank you, Penny, for sharing your passion in seeing little bodies move in ways that supports young children's whole development. And we just want to signpost our listeners to the many resources, articles, research. There's just so much available on Penny's website, which is www.jabadeo.org. It just leaves me to say thank you for listening to this episode of Turning Little Stones. We hope it's given you some food for thought and maybe some ideas to try. As always, you'll find the show notes for this episode together with further information, episodes and resources by heading over to our website, www.turninglittlestones.com. So until next time, goodbye. <laughs>